we're praising Him and only Him. With those who've gone on before, just think about it. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise you today. Trust him at all 
Hey, how many here have found him to be those things on that screen today? If you found, just raise your hand if you found him to be that for you. Amen. Lord, we just recognize you. We even keep our hands raised and we say, Lord, you are all these things and more. And Lord, we just, we say it out loud. When life wants to tell us you're not enough, when situations want to whisper in our ear uh, that, that God can't be trusted, when we're at our wits end, we don't know what to do, God, we know that you are all those things we sung about and more. And I pray that that reality would really just embed itself in our hearts and our minds and our spirit today. Lord, we love you and we honor you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, hey, God bless you guys. So good to see you today. Let's take a few moments and greet each other. And good morning. Welcome to Praise Assembly. It is so good to see you. If you are our guest today, there are connect cards in front of you. There's like dozens of them. I mean, there's like, you could fill out, if you're a guest, you could fill out seven of them and there'd still be plenty. They're everywhere in front of you. But if you could fill that out at the conclusion of our worship service, bring it out to our guest services center out in the lobby, that would be fantastic. We have a gift for you. But if you could do that, that would be um, just wonderful. We would greatly appreciate that. Ushers, if you'd come, we're going to prepare and uh, be able to worship, continue to worship not just in singing, which is a huge part of the morning, and not just in hearing the word of God, which is an enormous part of the morning, but in giving. So let's do that together today. Lord, we uh, participate right now in this act of worship, uh, saying that you are the owner of everything, saying that you are the one that uh, uh, this world belongs to and everything in it. And this offering today is uh, not only symbolic, but a very real uh, part of our heart that we say, God, we love you. Uh, we belong to you. And I pray you'd bless this offering in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Oh, 
Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you guys. Hey, if you have your bulletin, pull it out, and uh, we want to let you know some things that are happening here. Uh, the pre-order for the Harvest Dinner, if you've been a part of that, what a great dinner. Uh, Wednesday night supports our girls' ministries. We do it every year, but the pre-order is November 1st. You can sign up out in the lobby, $10 for adults, $5 for kids. Uh, make sure you are uh, sign up again by November 1st, which is next Wednesday. But today be easy day. Maybe, maybe you can't make it that Wednesday. Put $10 in there anyways. I think that's a great thing to do. So, um, and uh, we also have uh, a couple things here. Next Sunday, remember, fall back. Turn your clocks back. You don't have to throw your cell phone back, back but, you know, your range stove, or your range clock, or your car. Some of your cars probably do it anyways. Uh, but anyways, whatever clocks there are to turn back, make sure you do it next week. And enjoy that extra hour of sleep. Uh, the Joy Lunch will be November 10th at noon. And if you have any questions regarding that, it's always a good time, always good food. Please see Charlie or Linda Lanham. We have uh, grief shares are happening, happening on Wednesday nights at 7 in room 106. And also divorce care that meets Wednesday nights in 107. So those are two powerful ministries that go on. Maybe you know somebody who is walking through a divorce or you know somebody that has experience loss, and they could really use these ministries. Let them know this is happening. And then uh, how many have heard of Speed the Light? Of course you have here. Uh, but have you heard of Spud the Light? Spud the Light. And uh, what we're going to do is on Sunday morning, November 19th, we are going to be selling loaded, when I say loaded, loaded baked potatoes. I mean, we're going to have a choice of Buffalo chicken topping, cheesesteak topping, chili, uh, the, the traditional things, bacon, cheese, sour cream, all that goodness. That's happening on the 19th. It'll be $10. Uh, if you say, man, my kid's not going to, $10 for my kid, you know, just buy one, cut it in half, ask for an extra container, and boom, you got two for two kids. And uh, so that's going to be happening on the 19th. Again, all proceeds go towards Speed the Light. That's coming up. And again, just hold on to this. Make sure you're aware of all these things coming up. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, they're going to be Costco potatoes. So you can actually know if you've seen them, these are like two pound potatoes. You will actually be able to split them for the just one for the whole family. Amen. Amen. So. Hey, listen, we've got something fun to do this morning. Really fun for me. Uh, we're going to be dedicating a cute, cutest little girl. In, in child dedication this morning, and her name is Natalie Ann Petrucci. That's why she's so cute, <laughs> and she is. She's really sweet. My newest granddaughter, I'd like for her and her mom and dad and any other friends and family members to come on up 
to join me here, come to the altar area at this time. And what's funny, you know, in, in the last couple of months, I've learned that when I'm preaching, she's like, eh, eh, pointing to me up here. And then if I sit next to her, I wouldn't say she ignores me, but I guess she's all, look at this. She's all about, she's all about celebrity. So yeah, I want to be with the pastor. Look at her. She's something else. Yay, Natalie. Anyways, I don't know, how, how am I going to do this now? <laughs> so. Well, anyways, as you should know, in our church and other Bible-believing churches, we don't baptize babies or infants or we dedicate them to the Lord. And that's because the Bible teaches that baptism, immersion in water, is for those who have repented of their sins and decided to believe Christ for salvation. Oops, going to go back to mommy? Okay, just for a minute. All right. I didn't want her teetering out of my arms there, but... And very simply because, <laughs> very simply because an infant or young child, they're not aware of their sins at that point, and they can't understand such a concept as repentance. But someday little Natalie will have to make that choice for herself when she's of age, and she'll follow the Lord in baptism when she's older. But for today, they stand here, these parents, Nick and Michelle, have st stand here to, to, to dedicate her to the Lord. And the reason we dedicate infants and little children is based on an Old Testament example set for us by Hannah, who gave her son to the Lord for his service. She was so grateful for God enabling her to have a child after being barren that she dedicated her son Samuel to God for his whole, his whole life. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord of Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here praying to the Lord for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him back to the Lord. For his whole life he'll be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And likewise, these parents today are grateful for God's provision in their life. And they brought their young daughter here to be dedicated or given to the Lord. In a few moments, they're going to pledge to raise Natalie for God, to live as godly examples before her, to help her to develop spiritually, and ultimately to honor the Lord all of her life. And I'd like for you, the congregation, our congregation, to support this family as well. Not just today, but anytime that you're, you know, just even, even at her young age, a friendly smile. Um, some way helping her in her Christian growth beyond that. Jesus warned us very pointedly that we ought not cause even a little one to stumble. We need to watch our lives. We need to be an example for them. And this is, ex listen exactly to what he said in Matthew 18, 6. He said, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so I want to ask you now to stand with us right now. Join us in prayer for this little girl and for this family during this act of dedication. And Nick and Michelle, I'm going to ask you for the third time with the third child. In the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses, do you solemnly promise to bring up this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If so, say we do. We do. Do you promise to seek to lead her to accept Jesus Christ as her own Savior and Lord? If so, please say we do. We do. Do you promise to live before her consistent and godly lives? If so, then say we do. Okay, then give me that little critter. Okay, we're going to pray for Natalie. 
Lord God, we thank you, God, for Natalie. We thank you for her life. We thank you for her family. Lord, we thank you for every blessing that you've already put into her life. And Lord, I pray that you continue to bless her. Lord, that you would cause her, Lord, to just enjoy, enjoy the fellowship of the body of Christ as she grows and makes friendships here in this church. Lord, I pray that you would touch her in every way, Lord God. Just, just bless her. And Lord, we give her back to her parents. <laughs> and we ask, Lord, you give them wisdom, give them help in how to raise her for your glory and for your purpose. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Yeah, you know, um, we know every child is different. Every kid is different. And um, she's really an easy baby. Oh, my goodness. Just <laughs> think she wants to be up here. Uh, oh, all right. Hey, listen, um, the word of God. Yeah, Matthew chapter four today. We're going to look at Matthew chapter four. And we're going to start off with verse 1, reading through verse 11. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 11. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all of their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray, Master that you would break through into our hearts. Lord, that we would receive what you have for us in our minds and our intellect, but God, that you truly would speak to our spirits and our souls this morning. We pray for your anointing, the anointing of your Holy Spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, again today, we're continuing a um, couple more weeks, a couple more sessions on this series called Jesus Said. And today's is a little bit different from all those that we previously studied, this is because, as you already noticed in this passage, everything that Jesus says, everything we read, red letter, everything you saw, everything he said, everything we read here is from the known word of God of his day. In other words, he is quoting scripture. In fact, all three of his responses to the devil in this chapter are from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. All three of those. And then there's another unique element in this instance of, of, of what he says. He says to Satan, he's not addressing the crowds. He's addressing Satan. He's not addressing his disciples. He's talking to Satan. And he's not even speaking to us directly here today either. Although obviously his count is for our benefit. We know that the disciples were aware of what took place because they wrote it down and they preserved it for us. And, and, and one of the ways that this recorded event is meant to benefit us is that we need to understand that Scripture can be twisted and used for ill purpose. 
And Satan is, he's using scripture here out of context in his attempt to tempt Jesus. And because this was Satan's strategy, we need to realize today that the most important thing that we can do to be successful in our Christian walk is to really know the word and to know how powerful it is when we use it properly. In the epistles, Paul reminds us that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. When he talks about the the full armor of God, he says the sword of the spirit. It's an offensive weapon for doing spiritual warfare. Paul also urged Timothy to correctly handle the word of truth, to correctly handle the word of God. And so let me remind you, let me encourage you this morning to know the truth, to know God's word, and to use it as a weapon against the devil. This is what Jesus is saying to us through this event. And get this, this struggle concerning truth is where the trouble all began. What we see here had already happened before with someone else. And I want you to look with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, third chapter, verse 1. Listen to this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them are opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, let's just take a, let's take a careful look at the anatomy of this event, of what happened here, right from the very beginning, right from the very beginning. And I don't think we really need to take a lot of time. It'll, it'll be very clear to you. But look at what happened here. Satan, in tempting Eve, did not tempt Adam and Eve to murder. He did not tempt them to steal. He did not tempt them to cheat. He did not tempt them to commit sexual sin. Nothing like that at all. He tempted them to question the word of God. He tempted them to doubt God. To to question their father. To question the one who created them. And folks, you know what? I feel like this happens today as well among Christians. I'm not, I'm not that naive. And it, and it manifests as Christians decide to modify what God has said in order to fit their situation. That Sometimes Christians, they'll take the word of God and make it fit the way they like it. You see, as we, as we, as we read in the Genesis account, Eve was fully aware of what God had said. She was fully aware. She knew what God had said. In fact, as we read this, we see that she actually spoke the word of God directly to Satan. Verse 1 again, he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, okay, Satan, did God really say, and she says, yes, she says, God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. 
So he questions her, tempts her in that questioning, and she responds with God's word, God's very words. God said, don't touch it. And so we see this, that, the, that Satan wanted to get her to doubt God. But she replied correctly, didn't she? She replied correctly. God did say, God did say, don't eat it, don't touch it. But then through their back and forth dialogue, he wears her down and he keeps her focused on the forbidden fruit until she just has to have it. As it says later on in that passage, you know, they, they went back and forth and, and finally she saw, gee, the fruit is desirable. This is something that I want. And at that point, it doesn't matter what God said. Her will is going to prevail. And in the end, it's going to be her will over God's will. Again, Satan did not tempt her with murder or theft or cheating or any other possible sin. He tempted her to doubt God, to question God. To, to, to imagine, to consider that there might be a better way to live other than what God has prescribed. To, to imagine that maybe she knew better than her creator father. That she knew better than almighty God. And again, I see Christians do this today. And I, I, you know, I, God speaks very directly in his word in the Bible. He really does. When you read your Bible, what you read is what you get. If God said that, he means that. Finally, one amen. Wow. I mean, I know it's a dreary fall day today, but you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand what God is saying to us as to how we're to live our lives. Amen. He makes it so clear. I mean, just think about your life. Think, think about life in general. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And his word tells us that. Psalm 139, verse 16. Just as an example, there are many throughout the word, but just it says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days were written in your book and ordained for me before even one of them came to pass. Isn't that incredible? God has a plan for us. Even before we're conceived, he has a plan. He knows we're coming. He knows he wants to give us a job to do. He has a purpose for us. And you think about that passage through your personal development from birth to adulthood. When you were a child, your obligation was to be obedient to your parents and to God. Amen? It's that simple. To strive to know God personally. And then through our teen years, we're to, we're to consider what God's call is in our life as we get older. We, you know, what does God want me to do with my life? You know, maybe what occupation? Who shall I marry? And even on the issue of marriage, the Bible's clear. God warns us not to be unequally yoked. God makes it clear that marriage can only be between one man and one woman. That marriage is meant for life. He tells us that he hates divorce. And of course, we see all kinds of variations around us today because people have reasoned away the truth. Folks, people have reasoned away. That doesn't even, how do you reason away truth? Seems like if you're really reasoning if you're being intellectual and logical, you ought to find the truth. But people today have a way of reasoning away the truth in their favor to fit their situation. And sadly, I can include Christians in this. It isn't just the world. Some Christians have chosen to believe that their choice is better than God's. And isn't that what Eve did in the garden? God did say. She told Satan to his face. God did say. And then she went ahead and did what she wanted to do. Personal I mean, there, there are people, there are people today, Christians included, 
who really believe their personal preference should trump God's word. And again, it's exactly what happened in the garden. And that's why I've chosen this passage for today's message in our Jesus Said series. See, I believe without a doubt that God's ways are perfect. They really are. His ways are perfect. If he says do it this way, just do it. Please just do it. His ways are perfect. His word even states it repeatedly. And again, I'll just give you one reference for the sake of time this morning. But Psalm 19.7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord, the word of God is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise the simple. You want to be smart? Read the word of God. Look at that verse. We become wise when we live according to God's word, the law of the Lord, his word is perfect. And, and, and what we have to do is to first know the word, of course, and then secondly, do the word. But we have never been called. We, we've never been called to debate the word. You're to know the word and do the word. You're not to debate the word. Eve knew the word, but she lost the debate. She knew the word, but she didn't do it. Here's another great little verse. This is from the Berean Standard Bible. I felt like it said it the clearest. It's James 1.22. says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you're deceiving yourselves. But you know, you come in here on Sunday morning, you hear me preach, and you walk out, and you do something other than what I shared. You're deceiving yourself. And it's exactly what people do all the time. People, people will even lie to themselves. Isn't that amazing? Just in order to justify their decision, especially when it's directly contrary to God's word, even when it's in writing. I've heard people over the years justify bad decisions over and over and over again. I said, didn't you know the word? Say, oh yeah, I knew that, but I just, you know. So my challenge to you is to urge you to live according to God's word. To always strive to live according to what he says in his written word. Because if you do that, you'll never mess up and you'll never miss the mark. And by the way, the Greek word hamartia, for, for, which, which translates as sin, means to miss the mark. Like an archer missing his target. You will never miss the mark if you live according to his word. But here's another problem that came to mind as I was putting this message together. What if you don't know the word of God as well as you should? In other words, I suspect, and in fact, I've, been, I've seen several recent articles and surveys that state that biblical illiteracy among Christians is at an all-time high. Like, we might know some Bible stories, and I'm talking about grown evangelical Pentecostal Christians. You might know some stories, but you don't really know the Word of God, word by word, sentence by sentence. Many Christians really do not know what God says on various issues of life. And they don't take the time to consult God's word. In other words, they won't even open their Bibles or their concordance or their Bible app and research. So you're going through a decision process. You're facing some kind of decision. And what they found is a lot of Christians will not even consult the word. And if you think of the tools we have today, you don't have to have that massive Bible concordance anymore. All those pages, you can simply just put it into your Bible app. There's a little, there's a little search feature, and you put and it pulls up everything God would say on that topic. Christians won't even do that. 
Hosea 4, 6 says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. We perish. We lose out. We, you know, we get lost. And I'll tell you, it's hard enough to face trials and distractions and hurdles and, obstru- and obstacles in life when you, don't know, when you do know the Bible because Satan's going to come against you. He's going to try to get you to doubt God just as he did Eve. But think about how much harder it is if you can't even recall the word. Listen to James 1.21, another great verse out of James. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Sounds like our world today. Then he says, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The King James Version uses the word engrafted, planted, engrafted into you. We need to have the word of God engrafted into us. It needs to be downloaded into our human computer, into our brain, into our heart, into our soul, so that we can quickly retrieve those files, and those files are going to bring us success. That's what's going to bring us victory. Knowing the word of God, when the tempter tells, oh, go ahead, you can do that. Did God really say, is that the word specifically? And you don't even know the word. So let's say you spend the time and you go find what God's word says about it. Then you have to decide to actually follow through and do it. But you've got to have it engrafted into you for that moment when you need it. You know, your opinions can't save you. Your human judgments, your discernment isn't good enough. Only the engrafted word of God. And that's specifically what the word says right here in James chapter 1. As well as Proverbs 16, 25. And, and it also, by the way, what I'm going to read to you is also in Proverbs chapter 14. It's repeated twice in, in, in the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 25 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It, it looks okay. looks like it's all right. It's, 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 you know, it's excusable. It's okay. God will let it. No, it's, it's, it ends in destruction. Human sentiment, our own wisdom is never enough. We have to have the word of God inside of us. There's a great story that Chuck Swindoll shares in his book, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. Doesn't that describe the Christian life? You know, really. You advance a little bit and then you kind of slide back sometimes. But, you know, I mean, some days we do. We, 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 we move ahead valiantly and other days we fall backwards and, and we have to start all over again. But in this book, he tells a story of how the word of God came to his rescue and it rescued him from moral failure. Again, how many remember Chuck Swindoll? I mean, really a famous preacher and speaker. But he says this in his book. He says, I was in Canada months ago. I'd been away from home for eight days and there were two more to go, a weekend. I was lonely, having a pity party for myself at supper, alone. I bought a newspaper, thumbed through the sports section and found nothing but hockey, the favorite of Canadians, but not mine. I heaved a sigh and walked, around, walked toward the elevator. En route, I heard a couple of young women talking and laughing as they used the hotel phone in the lobby. I smiled as I passed by. A few steps later, punched the up elevator button. I got on, and so did the two ladies. I punched six. They didn't reach for the row of buttons, so I asked them, what floor? And one looked at me rather sensually, and she said, how about six? Do you have any plans? We're all alone on an elevator, he says, in Canada. I was flattered, to be honest, since most folks don't usually mistake me for Robert Redford or James Garner. These women were available. I was lonely. On that trip from the lobby to the sixth floor, I had an extremely significant decision to make. The bait had been dropped. 
Do you know what immediately flashed through my mind? He asked. My wife and four children? No, not at first. My position and reputation? No. The possibility of being set up or being seen? He says, no, none of that, none of that. God gave me an instant visual replay of Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And Ephesians 6, 11 came to my mind. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And Romans 6, verse 11 and 12. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. During that elevator lift, the memorized word flew to my rescue, he says, right on time. His word has kept me faithful again and again for 25 years of marriage. And then he says, yes, his memorized word works. Amen. Now, that's 1980. That's how old it is. He also said that when he got off the elevator, those women looked, like him, looked at him like he was orc from, Mork from Orc. They just, and see, you see how old this is? Half the crowd didn't even get it. But notice as Swindoll speaks of the memorized word. That's the engrafted word. It's the opposite of a superficial awareness of what God might say. But a complete knowledge and conviction that God's word is truth. Now, really, I mean, folks, there are people out there, there are Christians out there, who really believe that there are verses in the Bible like cleanliness is next to godliness. And I remember using that in groups and telling, them, telling people it's from Hezekiah chapter 3, verse 12. It's not in the Bible. And yet it sounds good. And hey, cleanliness is a good thing, right? We've got to really know what the word says. What does it really say? And so I can't stress to you enough this morning how God's word is the only perfect truth that exists. There isn't anything out there trustable except for God's word. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3, verse 4. This is so simple. Listen, this is so good. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Every day, folks, we're being bombarded by humanistic theologies and doctrines. Every day through the media and social media, we hear pithy little sayings and pompous carnal philosophies. I'm amazed at this. Very clever. Really sounds good. And they have the power to sway us unless we have God's word engrafted inside of us. I want to close with a warning this morning and then a solution. But 2 Timothy 4.3 predicts this. It says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That day was predicted 2,000 years ago. And it's coming. It's coming. A time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, their own situation, they're going to modify the word. They're going to gather around them people who will teach them exactly what they want to hear. And it's happening today. But there's a prescription. There's a vaccine, if you will. And Acts chapter 17, verse 11 reminds us of what serious students should do. And I want to suggest to you that when we look at the, old, the New Testament epistles, the Berean Christians, it says we're more noble 
Listen to this. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message from Paul with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I'm going to tell you right now, if the Apostle Paul were here preaching this morning, I don't think we'd question a word that he said. But they did. They did. I would challenge you. After every sermon, you can watch it again on, on the web. And, and you can, if ever I say something stupid, find it and get it back to me, okay? Let me know. We need to examine the word. They made sure that what Paul was teaching and preaching was the truth. That was God's word. And I want to close with this one simple graphic. It says it all. It's, it's uh, from A.W. Tozer. Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's word. Amen. Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's word. And here's something else that's going to help. Here's something designed to help you and your family. It used to be called Sunday school. We call it life groups. Every Sunday morning, 9 a.m., we have age-level classes for all ages, from birth, almost death. 50 minutes to study the Word of God in a systematic method. And I want to urge you to make it a regular part of your weekly life, and especially for your children. You know, one of the sad things we read in the second chapter of Judges is after Joshua... And after the elders that followed him, there grew up another generation who did not know the Lord or the things he'd done. Children need to be in Sunday school. Children need to be in life groups. And because, I mean, we're going to lose that whole generation if they're not in that setting where they can actually be taught the word of God in a classroom setting with discussion, where they can ask questions. And you know what? What's good for the kids is good for adults, too. There was a flyer in your seat this morning describing upcoming classes. Uh, you'll have an extra hour next week. Really, you'll have an extra hour next week. Now, the classes start December 3rd, but you can start next Sunday. You got an extra hour? It's Donut Sunday. You can come and get some free donuts and free muffins and specialty drinks and ice drinks and hot drinks and milk and juices. I mean, my gosh, we do everything to feed your body. So come and get your spirit fed. Come and get your soulish man refreshed. Next week would be a great time to start building time in the Word of God. Amen? You don't have to wait till December, but I want you to know what's coming up in December. You have the menu in front of you, but you can start next week, the first Sunday in November. It's got to become something that's important to us. Preaching, preaching service like this is, is good, it's, but it's all monologue. It's all one way. Unless maybe you've got your tablet and you're looking up what I'm saying to make sure it lined up with other parts of the Word of God. Or, you know, you can, I, when someone, one of our other pastors is preaching, I, I'm, I'm going through all kinds of stuff on Bible Hub, looking for other verses and reinforcing what's being shared. You can do that too. But life groups or Sunday school is a great place to do it. And, of course, Wednesday nights as well with our Bible study for adults and Royal Rangers for boys, girls' ministries and rainbows. We've got it all. Make your family part of it. Get the word engrafted into your heart. Amen. Let's pray together. Right where you're seated, I just really want you to grab hold of this today.
Eve was deceived because she debated the word of God. We need to believe the word of God. We need to know the word and we need to do the word. Not second guess it. Not imagine that it doesn't somehow just doesn't apply to us. It's God's word for every one of us. His word, his word and the living word saved us. Brought us to eternal life. The sword of the spirit was at work in our lives when we first met Christ. Because the word convicted us of our sin. The word convicted us that there was a better way. And we met that better way. We met the living word, the logos, Jesus Christ. And he transformed us. We need to get his word engrafted. His word off the pages of our Bible and into our lives. And I can only pray that you would be convinced of that today. And I pray, God, that you would break through, break through into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray your blessing on each one of us, God, as we leave this place. And I do pray that your word would resound in our hearts, that we'd hear your word over and over this week, that we would desire to get into your word. Lord, for anyone who may be going through a decision process right now, Lord, whatever it might be on any level, that they would consult your word and not just try to figure it out on their own. Lord, that they would receive a wisdom from heaven, not from this earth, but from heaven. Lord, I pray your blessing now as we leave this place. Bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.